This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. You tuned into a conversation between myself and Martin Mendez from Opeth and White Stones. The catalyst for the chat with Martin is the sophomore album from White Stones, which is actually his band. He's the fella at the centre of it. It's titled Dancing Into Oblivion, and it'll be released late August 2021. If you love a fusion of rock, prog, and death metal, this is for you. So here he is, Martin Mendez, the bassist in Opeth and the fella at the centre of White Stones. How's the uh, conversations been going for this album here? Good, good. Yeah, very good, man. I bet, yeah. Well, it, it is your sophomore album, and uh, the band is White Stones. And yeah. uh, I like the title, actually, Dancing Into Oblivion, because I did read the presser, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. it's more or less, I think, a bit of a reaction in some ways to COVID-19, uh, from what I understand there. Well... The album is not about that, but uh, the, during the writing process, the feelings I had in my in my body was, yeah, the pandemic. So mm-hmm. that kind of reflects in the music. But it's it's not an album about the pandemic or the virus or something. Like uh huh. Right. So what were the what were the lyrical themes you addressed this time around? Well, this time I didn't write any. In no lyrics. Uh, that was Eloy, the singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the first album, I, I was most, I was most involved, more involved in the, the lyrics. But, but this time it was him, and I think yeah, they're more, more like social, uh, not politics, but more like, a, yeah, like society. Sure. Kind of, yeah societal commentary and all of the things that are going on at the moment yeah, which uh, the last two years has been a very interesting time to be alive to say the least hasn't it yeah yeah very much <laughs> so um with the music side of things because i'm a bassist too and mm. I, I can actually hear that you've written a lot of this on the bass so i hope i'm right when i say that because i've got a pretty fine ear for these things but uh was there anything you were, you were specifically trying to go for? Because I feel like as though it's – I could definitely hear that there's a bit of a progression from the first album, which I thought was fantastic, by the way, and I just haven't lived with Dancing Into Oblivion long enough yet to be um, to be able to say whether or not I think it's – and work with me here when I say it's a better album or not. I know there's not it's a very subjective thing to say that there, mm-hmm. but in terms of how far advanced your songwriting has gone. So – on the music side of things, did you write with the bass? Well, some some things started with the bass, but usually I started with the guitars or thinking about a drum beat. Hmm. Uh, but but yes, it was some some stuff has been started with the, with the bass. Yes, it did. Yeah, it sounds, part of it to me sounds like a Cannibal Corpse album, believe it or not, because you know how Alex Webster from Cannibal Corpse writes on the bass? Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, mm. and you do too, so there's, you've got that, that in common with Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, maybe coincidence, but yes, it can be. But I think the, the way I write on the guitar as well is it's not the, the, the most common guitarist kind of view. Mm. Uh, I think it's... It has something to do that I'm a bassist, uh, so I kind of 
kind of think more like a bassist maybe when I write riffs. I don't know. Hmm. Yep. And you decided to record in Barcelona this time around, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same at the last album. Exactly the same process. Uh-huh. So was there a reason why you decided to record in Barcelona rather than Sweden? Well, because I'm living in Barcelona. So oh, okay. That makes sense then. Uh, it makes complete yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, very, it's much easier. <laughs> yeah. And the studio I used for both albums actually is is the singer's studio, Alois's studio. And uh, he lives 10 minutes from me, so it's... It was really, really comfy to, to do this way because I just could walk in the morning to the studio, even during the pandemic and the lockdown time. So, yeah, it was very comfortable to, to work this way. You've, you've blended so many killer elements here, like you did the last time around. Actually, this is what I can hear you've done. You've done a bit more with Dancing into the Oblivion, and I always mispronounce the debut album. Is it Kurahai? Kurahai? Is that how I pronounce it? Korahi. There you go. Yeah. Is that is that a Spanish word or something else? No, it's a it's a language that the the, the ethnic the, the Indians in Uruguay used to speak back in the day. Uh-huh. It's called Guarani. It's a language that in Uruguay we don't speak it anymore. But I think it's in Paraguay. They still speak in this language. I think it's the only country in the world that speaks. So yeah, it's an old language. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I guess that hints at another point that I wanted to make was that um, I just find Spanish musicians are experts, as you are here, at mixing together so many different styles. So what you've done is death metal, prog, jazz fusion and rock. Uh, do you think, I mean, it's, I know you're at the centre of it and there might not be that much of an awareness of it. So say someone like myself has got, coming from the outside, being that I'm Australian and definitely very un-Spanish, unlike <laughs> my heritage, mm-hmm. but but do, do you feel it's just a very natural thing, given your Spanish heritage, to mix all of these things together and for it to come out so cohesive? I don't know how to say. I mean, in my, I mean, for me at least, yes, because I've been really into music from the from there from the beginning since I was a kid you know I hmm. I, I didn't have a CD play until I was 17 years old I think so what I was listening to mostly until then it was radio and what we had over there it was mostly tango and folk music from Uruguay or South America so I grew up with that stuff you know so hmm. for me at least it, it helps a lot it, it gives me a lot of influence from there uh, I don't know if it's a general rule to be Spanish to have all this, but uh, for me at least, yes. Because, uh, as I say, I, I grew up with with all kinds of music from there. And uh, and I like to reflect all the music I like to to the album as well, to the music I write. And, mm. of course, it's death metal, a very important part of, of the style. And But for sure it is more stuff over there than that influenced me at the, at the time to, to write it. Hmm. What was it? Was, I understand, and again, if I've got this wrong, please correct me, but I understand the majority of your band, if not all of your band, have a Spanish heritage as well. So was that, was that something that was done by design or is that simply just because you're, you're living and working and recording in Barcelona? Yeah, that's the only reason, because I was living here, so it's more easy to find people around mm. to 
and to get to for rehearsals or whatever it is, yes. And yes, and I wanted to, they're friends of mine as well. So at the beginning, this project wasn't that serious. Or I didn't have many expectations. So I wanted just to, and I want to have a, this with friends, you know, to yeah. from the area to, to be more easy. Well, you've unearthed a magnificent talent, and I understand. Is it Jao? Jao Sassetti, uh, your guitarist? Yes. Gosh, he yeah. reminds me so much of Paul Masvidal from Cynic in his soloing. He's an amazing guitar player, yeah. And Joao, unfortunately, he could only record the solos because he's, he's Portuguese and he's living in Portugal now. Mm. And uh, he couldn't fly to Barcelona for the recording process because of the pandemic. It wasn't on the time that he couldn't fly. But uh, he did the solos. Uh, he did an amazing job. And, and yes, uh, hopefully next year, next album, sorry, he will be involved in the other guitars as well, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. I, it, was, it was one of the first things that jumped out at me and I didn't realise that I had your album on um, shuffle. So I thought I was listening to the second or the third song, so I can't tell you which song I was listening to, but one of the solos is was just all-time epic. It was it was totally, as I say, it was uh, it was Jason Becker uh, meets J.K. Lee meets uh, Paul Masvidal. And uh, for the musicians out there like myself who, who have a keen ear for these sort of things, more is mm. definitely more. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, he's definitely a very, very good guitar player, and he loves the eighties, all the, all these kind of guitar players. So, so yeah, he's he's amazing. I, he brings a lot to the album, I think too. Yeah, yeah. So, when you were assembling the band this time around for the album, were, were, they, were they the same? Was it the same personnel that carried over? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I, this album, I, <clears throat> I have the Joao for the first time and I have a new drummer as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I was looking for these people. Uh, yeah, because they they had to to know how to play all the stuff, so just not metal, you know, and these, yeah. these guys are perfect, fit perfect for this style, yeah. Mm. And what what about yourself with the bass guitar side of things? Did you use your California, your Sandberg bass for the recording? Yes. Yeah, for the whole album it's the same, yeah. What draws it's you to that yeah, what draws you to that bass? You know, it's I I mean when when they asked me to, to do a signature with Sandberg, uh, I went to the factory with them for a few days and we decide all the the specs for the bass mm. and then I, I really love this instrument and it's it fits so well for me at least and the shape and the and the wood and everything and and i love it i love the sound it's very versatile you know you, you can mm. really have a really kind of jazzy sound to more modern metal and you know and i think it's i think it's really great and i'm really happy to have it it sounds killer, man. So was that put through like a sans amp or what preamp were you using? I use actually I record with a with a, with a, a dark glass amplifier. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that's pretty much it because I didn't use much uh, for the bass, just the DI and the amplifier. And the sound you hear on the record is pretty much the the amplifier sound. So yeah, I'm really happy with a very natural sound. Yeah, it captures your finger style bass playing beautifully because I, I play finger mm. style as well, and I know it's not always easy to to capture that because it's such a um, there's no attack really, is there? It's a very round sound, and oftentimes it can sort of yeah. bleed and become a very, uh, I don't know how else to say, but a wide signal, and you don't get a lot of the yeah, characteristics yeah. of your playing. But I think you've captured that beautifully. So, did you 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 obviously did all the production alongside of um, the singer as well? I take it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was most me, mostly me doing mm. the production. Yes. Was it? Were there a yeah, lot about, of... about the bass? Sorry, yeah, about the bass, I, I, yeah. I did record two songs with a pick as well, so maybe you have this more bright kind ah. of tone on it, yeah. Okay, yeah, where do you stand on that, the plectrum or pick versus fingerstyle? Because you're a very capable fingerstyle bass player. Yes. So do you... Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. you're not against yeah, we, using a pick, obviously. Yeah, but... It, Actually, with the first album, Quarahi, that was the first time I ever used a pick on a recording. Uh, I think I used half of the album is done with a pick from the first album. And I think I just thought that the sound fit better for those songs. But for this last album, I think it's only one or maybe two songs with a pick, but the rest is only all singers like that. I think for people who aren't musicians, they might not. It might be difficult for them to get their head around that playing the pick on the bass compared to playing with your fingers. It's almost two different instruments in so many ways because the rhythmic approach changes so drastically. And yeah. I, I find it. I don't, I'll ask you this question because <laughs> I know how I find it. Do you find it more difficult to play with a pick than with your fingers? Well, at the beginning, I found it more difficult because I I wasn't that. I, I didn't used to do it that much, uh, but mm. I always been playing guitar as well with the pick. So, so I kind of had the technique, but on the bass is a bit different. Mm. But yeah, at the beginning was a, a bit harder, maybe. But yeah, I, I think I got it pretty right away. Confident yeah. with the, with the pick as well. Yeah, it took me months. I got to say to actually perfect that, especially live, um, because it's it's louder. I find. And as I say, it doesn't have mm. that bassy flat tone that, that I tend to like personally. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, concept, I think, for a lot of people who don't play music to actually play the bass to get their head around. And uh, look, you're, you're an expert bass player, but there are a lot of guitarists that tend to pick up the bass guitar and play it with a pick, and they just yeah. sound like a guitarist playing the bass as opposed to a bassist playing the bass. Yeah. Yeah, but for me, it's more like... Uh, kind of sound that I want to, to reach and sometimes mm. with the fingers you can cannot get that kind of uh, metallic bright on the top uh, I don't know how to explain but uh, yeah mm. yeah you get, get it, it with a pick yeah. yeah is it any more stressful or how different is it for you to run a band given that you're the fella at the centre of White Stones compared to being a member of Opeth well it's not stressful it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's a lot of, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy but this is something that I want to do and I need to do uh, that's why I'm doing this because um, it's not I'm, I mean uh, I'm working with Opeth and I had enough with that 
and playing wise and everything. But this is something I realized for a few years ago that I need to do something on the side and I need mm. to express myself in this way 100%. And that, this makes me feel good, you know, and it's better for, for me here and with, for me with Opeth and everything because I feel better doing this stuff. And as I say, I, I kind of realized it a few years ago that I, I have to do stuff on the side because yeah. I've always been writing music, uh, but I never kind of done it proper in, in this way, you know. So this, this is something, it's like a therapy or something like that. And it's really, really interesting and, and I love the process. So it's not, it's not a kind of a pain in the ass to do this at all. It's, it's really enjoyable to do this, but it takes a lot of energy and time, yeah. Okay, that's that's an important point because the, the it sounds to me given given your, your creativity. Okay, so you've, you've released virtually you've released two albums within twelve months or thereabouts. It mm. sounds it sounds like as though it might be a bit difficult for you to get your music heard within Opeth. Is that the case? Yes, of course. I mean, in Opeth, I'm the bass player, and I don't I can kind of put out my ideas on the bass, but that's pretty much it, which is re- which is fine and, and I love to do it, but at the same time, on the other hand, I mean, as I say, I, I think I, I have this need to 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 compose uh, more than just one instrument, because something that I like and I think I, I can do it, so yeah, it's different, but it's, it's different, but I really enjoy both positions, for real. Yes, okay. So so has it ever, I hope I can ask this question, by the way, but has it ever come to a point where you've been a bit frustrated in Opeth that your ideas don't get heard within the band? No, not at all. Absolutely not. Um, as I say, I'm I'm very glad with the, with Opeth, with what we've done and the, the way we took with the band, and I love it. It's a, it's a challenge every time we do a record and and I never miss play people think I miss playing more extreme metal. But that's not true because hmm. when I'm on tour with Opeth we play in all those heavy songs every night. You know, I'm playing deliverance and those songs every hmm. night. So I get my death metal kind of dose, you know. Every every night. So it's not like that, it's just as I say, something personal. That something that I, I need to do and I want to do, because something different, completely with open. I think I'm right in saying this, but you must be the only bass player in an extreme metal band, if I could still call Opeth that, that's played the Sydney Opera House. What was that experience like? Uh, yeah. Well, that was one of those experiences I will never forget in my life, for sure. Uh, such a beautiful place, such an honor to play in a place like that. You know, it's, you know when you do those kind of things, you feel very proud uh, to 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 choose what you do, choose to do when you were young. You know, and and this mm. this is kind of a proof, you know, that that you've been doing something right. I, I guess and. Sure. <laughs> at least I, I like to think that way, you know. But it, it feels really nice, for sure. To say the least, yeah. I, I was excited for you guys, I've got to say, uh, from the perspective that, okay, it's great to see a, a rock or a heavy metal band 
playing at the Opera House because uh, there's, been, there's been quite a few contemporary uh, acts down there. Like I think Daniel Johns from Silverchair has done some stuff there. But when I saw Opeth there, and of course I missed out on tickets because they sold out. You're probably aware of this, but the tickets sold out in like uh, five minutes or something or ten minutes. They were just gone. Yeah, that was fast, yeah. <laughs> But you, you didn't have the chance to go. Sorry, it just, it just, I don't, no doubt you said something very profound there, but it literally cut out as soon as you answered the question. Would you mind repeating it? No, no, I just asking you if you had the chance to go at the end or not. Oh no, sorry, I, I wanted coast. to go. Yeah, I, I definitely. Okay. It was. Right. I live, I live north of Sydney, but. Um, I, uh, I I saw that the tickets were there, and of course, I mean, I didn't I didn't know when they were going on sale because I didn't check. To be honest with you, I just knew that you guys were playing, and I think I looked the day after and was hoping to pick up, you know, some tickets on even what's that bloody awful site, Via Gogo, whatever it is, you know, six hundred dollars right. or whatever. But I would have paid it to be honest with you to see you guys down there. Wow, <laughs> I would never yeah. pay that money either. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, to be honest with you, it's once in a lifetime. You either you either have the memory or you don't, and the people that went had the memory. So that's that's a wonderful thing for them, I suppose. But uh, you guys will come back. I've spoken to Frederick enough to know that you guys are, are uh, you guys are happy to perform in Australia, and uh, and we, we tend to be a strong territory for you guys. So I know you guys will be back sometime in the near future. Yeah, we will for sure. Mm. Hey, mate, I'll make this my final question for you because, look, I, you mentioned Uruguay already and, look, I understand that you you moved from Uruguay with your mate Martin Lopez, former Opeth drummer, as a teenager. Yeah. You were both teenagers. So that's a, that's a heck of a journey for a young young fella to, to go on from, from Uruguay to one of the biggest heavy metal bands of all time and I believe I can say that's certainly one of the biggest extreme metal bands of all time. Did, was it was it even a possibility, or did you think it could even be possible, way back then, that a long career as a bassist in this universally beloved band could be on the horizon? No, really. I, you know, I moved to Sweden with intention of playing music. That was the only reason, uh, metal, to be more specific. Uh, but then, you know, my fantasy went never that far you know my fantasy was more my dream was to just play in a band release an album or something like that you know I didn't think longer than that Mm. Uh, but when I started with Opeth Opeth didn't do much at the time either so I think when I when I joined the band we were doing nothing for two years maybe Uh, so I don't know, everything went so natural, so, it's so slow as well, you know. Uh, so I never I never got that shock, you know. It's like I kind of grew up with it. Um, but as I say, my intentions were, were never like uh, I want to be a rock star and do that. I, I could never imagine to to do what I'm doing now back then. Yeah, actually I said that was my last question, but I'll make this my last one. If you could pick mm. a career highlight, what do you think it would be so far? Um, with Opeth, with the highlight. Mm. Oh, any, anything, even with White Stones. What, what's, what's, oh. what do you think has been your most, the accomplishment that you're most proud of? There you go. I mean, just been doing what I love to do. That's, 
that's the best of everything, you know, that mm. we we can still do in what we love in in life and and you know maintain my family of it is is it's amazing, you know. I mean, I have in, I've been having lots of other jobs, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, once we start uh, living on the music, you know, you really appreciate life in that way because it's it's a hard thing to do, and and I really I'm really happy that it went this way. It's always great to see a career-based player succeed. You know that it's always great to see someone like yourself actually doing it and being able to make a living from it, because you are literally yeah. one. You are literally one in ten million to be able to do that. Yeah, I know it's it's a tough world for this and business, but as I say, I'm really grateful and and I was trying my best for that too because I think I have a uh, yeah I have a I need to to be as good as I can because. I, I feel chosen in, the, in this in this yeah. way, you know. Yeah. Well, I think I think the, the you know the gods have smiled on a, a worthy individual there, Martin. So thank you so much for uh, the conversation there. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, look, congratulations on your career, and, and importantly, mate, this album here. You know, look, Opeth is one thing, but it's another thing to step outside of the main gig, so to speak, and do something as important as what you're doing here with White Stone. So Dancing into Oblivion is an album that will be on my it already it's already in my top five of the year so far so it's going to be in my top 10 at the end of the year without a doubt so congratulations on crafting such an epic album thank you very much man thank you for real no worries at all mate all right well good luck with everything mate and hopefully see you down here again real soon yeah hopefully man take care <laughs> no thank you so much okay catch ya right. bye 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 so there you have it my conversation with martin mendez the bassist in opeth and the fella at the centre of White Stones. If you like that chat, I'd appreciate it if you could like, subscribe and share, and even better, leave a comment. If you want to listen to many more conversations just like that one with so many of the leading lights in extreme metal, heavy metal, hard rock and beyond, head over to scarsandguitars.com and search until you are satisfied via the Wooshka widget on the podcast tab. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. It's goodbye for now.